it's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, January 25th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. First up, the California Report takes us to Half Moon Bay and Monterey Park as more information emerges about the recent mass shootings. Then we'll look at your local news and weather before the latest installment of Soups On. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and intern news producer Julia Jem fill us in on yesterday's marathon-length Nevada County Board of Supervisors meeting. And KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller stops by, providing insight on a hot-button issue, nuclear reactors. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The suspect in Monday's deadly mass shooting in the city of Half Moon Bay, Xuan Li Zhao, is being held on seven first-degree murder charges and one charge of attempted murder for the shootings at two farms. Half Moon Bay, south of San Francisco, is home to roughly 12,000 residents. Nearly half of them are Latino. As my California Report co-host Mari Bolaños reports, the shooting has left the tightly knit community shaken. Francesca Sanchez has lived in Half Moon Bay for 16 years. She stopped by Ayudando Latinos a Soñar, or ALAS, a nonprofit organization that helps Latinos in the area to get more information on how they're supporting the community through this tough time so she can pass along that information to her neighbors. Porque muchas personas están ahorita... Because a lot of people are hiding right now, she says. They don't want to leave their homes because they're traumatized, because nothing like this has ever happened in their community. Sanchez says the area has always been a peaceful, united community. This community is very hardworking, she says. They're always willing to help each other out if needed. Now, she says, the peace has been taken from her and her community. Joaquin Jimenez Uriño is the vice mayor of the city and the farm worker coordinator for ALAS. So, I mean, it's just a lot of, uh, a lot of fear. And, uh, and, you know, we have to understand, you know, a lot of our farm work community is also undocumented. So there's also the fear of that, their, their, their legal status. So for them to come forward to ask for help is going to be very difficult. The names of the victims who are of Latino and Asian descent have not yet been released. Saul? Thanks, Mari. That's the California Report's Mari Bolaños in Half Moon Bay. Here in Southern California, friends and family of the victims of the deadly mass shooting at a dance studio in Monterey Park are coping with their loss. Vice President Kamala Harris will be visiting the community today where she'll meet with families of the victims. Harris was at an event in Florida this week and spoke about this tragedy in her home state. A time of a cultural celebration, and yet another community has been torn apart by senseless gun violence. All of us in this room and in our country understand this violence must stop. Several vigils are being held across California this week, organized by members of the Asian American community. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors, like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. The California Healthcare Foundation, listening to Black Californians, a new study on how the healthcare system undermines their pursuit of good health. On the web at chcf.org/lbca. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt. 
whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, which bets early on exceptional people making the world better, on the web at SchmidtFutures.com. In the wake of this week's mass shootings, there's more focus on gun violence restraining orders, or red flag laws. These allow authorities to temporarily seize firearms and ammunition from people who've been reported as a danger by family members or co-workers. San Diego has been especially aggressive in pursuing such gun seizures as a way to prevent shootings. I talked about the city's approach with San Diego City Attorney Mara Elliott. The idea is to give a cooling off period to the individual. Usually the person whose uh, guns and access to guns is at issue is going through some kind of a traumatic event. And it could be a breakup of a relationship. Maybe they got out of the military and they have post-traumatic stress disorder. We've worked closely with Alzheimer's here in San Diego because once responsible gun owners could become irresponsible because their health has deteriorated. So usually it's a cry for help. And we have that cooling off period where somebody doesn't have access to, you know, the ability to end their life or somebody else's. And during that period of time, they can seek the help they need to become responsible again. Your office sent us a list of cases where people in San Diego had had their guns taken away from them after they had been reported by a loved one or a coworker. But I see all of those people already had some history of violent acts or at least violent statements. So you can't just seize firearms if someone expresses a general concern about someone else. Do I have that right? You're correct, because ultimately we're presenting a case to a court, and the court is going to look at what the requirements are in order to issue a restraining order and determine if we we have enough to go on. So we have to have clear and convincing evidence. A suspicion is not enough. Uh, but we will investigate suspicions that are credible. And it will lead us sometimes to social media, statements made at work, um, other acts, but we're going to want to present a full case so we can reach our burden. But I assume that line between allowing someone to keep their guns or have them seized can be a pretty gray one, right? It could be a gray one. Uh, We tend to err on the side of caution and we will investigate it. So I don't want anybody who calls the city of San Diego to question whether they have enough evidence for us. Our job, and particularly law enforcement, they are trained. They know exactly what to look for in terms of gun violence. So let the professionals do the job and figure out if there is something here. And what's your response to critics of red flag laws who say at the best, they're just examples of virtue signaling that doesn't really have a lot of effect in the real world, or at the worst, they pose a threat to people's constitutional rights to have firearms? Well, I think the response is ask the people who have gone through the experience, those who have been protected, they will all attest that this was a crisis intervention tool that was that worked. But to the law of it, of course, there's due process. So the ultimate determinant doesn't lie with the city attorney or uh, whichever attorney is handling it. It doesn't lie with law enforcement. Both sides have an opportunity to talk to a court of law and give their side of the story. We look for the least restrictive alternative to try to address whatever is presented to us. Um, Sometimes it's not taking away the firearm. There might be some alternatives that don't, uh, don't necessitate that action. So we really look at the individual before us and try to figure out how we're going to keep that person safe as well as the community safe. All right. That is Mara Elliott, the city attorney of San Diego. Thanks so much for joining us on the California Report. Thank you. 
And that's the California Report for today, Wednesday, January 25th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Stay tuned to your local public radio station for more news about this week's mass shootings. And we'll have more on our show tomorrow. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening and have a good day. Let's take a look at today's local news. According to the Nevada County Sheriff's Office, they received a call on Tuesday night around 11 p.m from an agitated employee at the Chevron station on Comby Road. The gas station attendant reported seeing three men in the parking lot. The men covered their faces with bandanas and approached the store with at least one of the individuals waving a gun. The employee was able to quickly lock the doors, preventing the three men from entering. Nevada County Sheriff's deputies arrived at the Auburn gas station, located just off Highway 49. However, all of the suspects had left by that time. The Placer County Sheriff's Office and California Highway Patrol assisted with the search as well. The investigation remains active. The Sheriff's Office asks for anyone with information about the incident to contact the Nevada County Sheriff's Office. As the investigation into the Monterey Park mass shooting continues, police officials are facing scrutiny over how long it took them to notify the public that the gunman was still on the loose. The Los Angeles Times reports that for roughly five hours after 72-year-old Hugh Cantran opened fire inside Star Ballroom Dance Studio and fled late Saturday night, Monterey Park and Los Angeles County authorities made no announcements about the gunman's location. Instead, the death toll and the gunman's escape in the chaos was revealed through government sources and other agencies and radio broadcasts. Authorities say Tran opened fire about 10.20 p.m. Saturday. However, official notification didn't come until around 3.30 a.m., about five hours after Tran opened fire inside the dance hall. That's when L.A. County Sheriff's Captain Andrew Meyer told reporters the suspect fled the scene and remains outstanding. Horace Frank, a former assistant chief to the Los Angeles Police Department, says typically an agency's first inclination would be to notify the public when a mass shooter is at large. Frank says, quote, It's a public safety issue. The only time you don't do that is when you can articulate specific reasons otherwise. You always err on the side of keeping the public informed. Frank, who oversaw counterterrorism and tactical operations at LAPD, says in this case, quote, If there is a reason for delay, I cannot think of one. Investigators in Los Angeles County are still trying to determine a motive in the Monterey Park killings, as are investigators further north in Half Moon Bay where another mass shooting followed closely on Monterey Park's heels. Authorities in both cases say the suspects apparently decided to settle unknown grievances against specific people. Unlike the Monterey Park shooter, Half Moon Bay's mass shooter was apprehended alive. Much debate now swirls around whether San Mateo's district attorney will seek the death penalty. However, if DA Steve Wagstaff decides to pursue that charge, it would be a largely symbolic decision. While California has the largest death row in the country, with 690 condemned inmates, the state hasn't carried out an execution since 2006, and Governor Gavin Newsom has declared a moratorium on capital punishment. Turning our attention to your forecast from the National Weather Service, dry weather with sunny days and cool overnight temperatures are in store for our listening area. However, mountain snow and light valley showers may return Sunday. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, clear with a low around 39 degrees. Thursday, sunny with a high near 61. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, 
Tonight, mostly clear with a low around 18 degrees. Thursday, sunny with a high near 41. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, clear with a low around 39 degrees. Thursday, sunny with a high near 62. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Up ahead, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza sits down with intern news producer Julia Jem for Soups On. The main focus of yesterday's Nevada County Board of Supervisors meeting, potential new housing called the Ranch House Project. Claudio and Julia dive into the details up next. Joining me now in the studio is Julia Jem, who covers the Board of Supervisors of Nevada County meetings for us. Hello, Julia. Hi. So, Julia... I was sort of keeping track of the meeting remotely. It seemed like it was longer than the past meetings. Yeah, it was longer than any of the meetings that I've attended. Um, I think it totaled out at about six hours and 45 minutes long. Why was it so long? Um, Although the agenda wasn't super dense, item number 33, which was the last item, took a long time, partially because there was a lot of public comment. I want to talk about item 33. That's the Ranch House Project? Yes. Okay, but... First, anything else to talk about? Um, Well, items number 2 through 29 were on the consent calendar. Item number 1 on the agenda was the presenting of a certificate of recognition for Melinda Booth, who is the departing executive director of the South Yuba River Citizens League, or CIRCLE. They were recognizing her for her service to the community? Yes, and she spoke publicly about her experience in that position, and I have a quote if you'd like to hear it. I would. She said that, quote, I've never lived in a community that cares so much about whatever it is they care about, but they care, and they care deeply. And to be a part of something like that means that you can actually make a lot of change and get a lot of things done, end quote. Great. What else happened? Well, next, there was a fair amount of public comment that occurred before the consent calendar, and it was sort of similar to that of last meeting. A lot of it was related to the proposed Idaho-Maryland mine project. This time, several members of the public addressed the toxic mine waste that still remains from the mine's historical use, and they applied pressure for that waste to be cleaned up in order for the environmental impact report to be completely accurate. So some of these folks that were speaking against the mine are concerned that there's still waste from the last time the Idaho-Maryland mine was in operation. Yeah, and that the environmental impact report can't be completely accurate until that's cleaned up. I suspect that the Idaho-Maryland mine is going to be a part of these meetings one way or another for a long time. It, it looks that way, yeah. All right. Now let's talk about the big item on the agenda, or at least the one that seems to have taken up the most amount of time. That was, you said, uh, 33? Yeah. Item number 33 was the Ranch House Project. What is it? Well, the Ranch House Project itself is one of the 14 houses that is used to provide permanent supportive housing for people who need it. So this is an existing house? It is currently an existing house, and it currently holds three people. Okay. And so what's the deal? Well, this hearing pertained to the Nevada County Planning Commission's November 10th vote and also several recommendations for the Ranch House project itself. And I can list those off. Yeah, please. Well, they included um, adopting the mitigated negative declaration, approving the zoning district map amendment to rezone the subject parcel from residential agricultural plan development, which currently consists of a three-acre minimum parcel size, to a residential agricultural plan development that consists of a 1.5-acre minimum parcel size. And lastly, adopting Resolution A to deny, 
or B, to approve, the conditional use permit, which would allow for the development and operation of a six-unit multifamily residential development containing six one-bedroom apartments in addition to the demolition of the existing single-family residence that currently exists on the project site. If I'm understanding this, this item, item 33, had to do with all of the legal steps necessary to, you said, demolish a current house? Yes. And then build in its place... A new structure? A new structure that contains six one-bedroom apartments. So instead of housing three individuals, it would house six. And where is this? It's off Highway 49 near Newtown Road. This is near that solar project? Yes. Did people show up to speak about this? Lots of people showed up, and so there was about an hour of public comment, and then the board discussed it for another hour. What are some of the things that people talked about? There were certainly both sides, um, opposition and and in favor of. People who opposed the project had concerns about the cost. It's going to cost $4.4 million. And there was some controversy about that money going to house only three additional people. And then there was also some concern over public safety related to the road and individuals that that are being housed in the ranch house hitchhiking on Highway 49 and potentially causing car accidents or collisions. People are upset that, that people living there could cause collisions? I don't understand that. What does that mean? One member of the public mentioned that people are most likely to check their phones before or after heading in or out of the canyon. Okay. And so if someone was to hitchhike, they may be hit or cause a head-on collision. Did anyone speak... In favor of the project? Yeah, there was a good amount of positive commentary, and I have a quote um, from one of those individuals if you'd like to hear it. I do like quotes. Let me hear it. Well, Tom Durkin uh, is a District 4 resident who says to have had his own experiences with mental health issues and homelessness. He said, everybody deserves a safe place to be. And I also have a quote from one of the members of the public who was opposing the project. I'd like to hear that too. He stated that he feels it is, quote, crazy to house behavioral health clients on the side of a highway and that there's a high risk of people accidentally causing head-on collisions. All right. Thank you so much, Julia. No problem. Thank you. In 1974, Congress created the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. The independent agency was entrusted with one overarching duty, regulate commercial nuclear power plants. Last week, the NRC gave the nuclear industry the green light to begin building a new generation of nuclear reactors. As to be expected, people have questions. One of them being KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller, who sees a possible headache for the industry. Things fall down. It's the way of the world. The way of the universe, really. Like everything else, water falls down. But a rock falling into a pond will splash water upward. It's a trade-off. Energy from the falling rock propels water droplets in the opposite direction, propels them up. A rock suspended above the ground stores energy within itself. The rock is in a high-energy state. Allow the rock to fall, allow it to go the way of the world, and the rock releases that stored energy. Back down on the ground, the rock no longer stores energy. The rock on the ground is in a low-energy state. Surrounded by air, the atoms in a drop of gasoline are in a high-energy state. Rather than remain glued together in the gasoline, the atoms would rather be glued to atoms of oxygen from the air. 
and just like a rock, releasing energy as it falls to the ground, the atoms in the gasoline release energy as they fall to a lower energy state when they glue themselves together in carbon dioxide and water. Our bodies, the bodies of everything alive, our bodies take advantage of high-energy molecules, a.k.a. food, molecules that release energy when we allow them to rearrange themselves into carbon dioxide and water. Our bodies and everything else around are made of atoms glued together. Every atom is composed of a nucleus surrounded by electrons. We're all familiar with electrons. Electrons light up the air as they jump from wool back to skin when we take off a sweater. The nucleus of the atom, in turn, is made of smaller particles yet, particles glued together. The particles in most nuclei are happy to be glued together just the way they are. They're in a low-energy state. But the particles in a nucleus of uranium would prefer to be glued together in other ways. The uranium nucleus is in a high-energy state. Now and then, particles in the uranium nucleus rearrange themselves, and a few escape toward a low-energy state. The uranium nucleus is radioactive. In the mid-20th century, physicists discovered how to crank up uranium so it wouldn't just spew out small bits and pieces to get to a lower-energy state. The uranium nucleus would actually split in half, releasing a tremendous amount of energy. Energy used first in weapons, then after the war in reactors to make electricity. One problem. After the uranium nuclei have split, the resulting halves are still in a high-energy state, a very high-energy state. Spent fuel, fuel that's been used to generate electricity, is intensely radioactive, way more radioactive than the original uranium. Thirty-something miles south of Sacramento, the former Rancho Seco nuclear generating station has been dismantled. Still remaining are the iconic cooling towers, rising hundreds of feet into the air. Also remaining are canisters of spent fuel, many tons of spent fuel, awaiting a long-delayed decision as to where it will ultimately be permanently stored. Last week, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission published a decision to permit the first of a new generation of nuclear reactors. The first such reactor will soon be built in Idaho. The new generation of reactors, like the old, will generate tons and tons of highly radioactive spent fuel. Just where the spent fuel from this new generation of reactors will be entombed remains a mystery. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. That's our newscast for this Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. Visit us online at kvmr.org and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Weiss Landscaping. With over 75 years of generational experience in landscape architecture, design, and installation, Weiss Landscaping crews are experienced and provide accountability on craftsmanship, installations, and irrigation projects. Go weisslandscaping.com. And the Center for the Arts presents Michael Cleveland and Flamekeeper, Thursday, January 26th at 8 p.m. And Larkin Poe, Tuesday, February 7th at 7.30 p.m. Tickets and information at thecenterforthearts.org. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. 
We're excited because KVMR's Future of Radio project is back, and we're looking for our next group of Youth News Corps reporters. If you're interested in radio journalism and production, are 15 to 18 years old, and live in Nevada County, the early application deadline is coming up February 5th. Head to kvmr.org slash Youth News Corps for more information. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Thursday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.